The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, you see all things perfectly at all times. Whether we are separated by a physical distance or not, you see us each individually. You see into our hearts perfectly. And you use your word and your Holy Spirit to instruct powerfully. That's our prayer today. This day, as we celebrate the Lord's Day in this unconventional manner, we pray that it be useful in the building up of the church. And for the mothers that are here, we pray your blessing upon them as they sacrifice each and every day in love for the families that you've entrusted them with. We thank you for the examples that they have been to each and every one of us, and especially to their children, for those moms who have young ones in the home right now, the vast evangelism outreach that takes place through them to the up-and-coming generation is a marvel. And we thank you, and we ask that you would bless the mothers of the church in their continual love of their children. Lord, as we get into your word, we ask that you would guide and direct us into truth, understanding and knowing truth, knowing you, knowing what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for prayer and the example we see in the text today of the importance of prayer, prayer that you continue to do for us, Lord Jesus, every day, and the prayer that you call us to join into with you as part of our ministry. With that, Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If everyone would please turn in their Bibles to Mark, we're going to continue in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. Today we're going to be going through verses 26 to 42 in Mark chapter 14. This is the reading of God's Word, just to give us a good understanding of of where we're going in the passage. Beginning in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, 
even to death. Remain here and watch. Then going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they didn't know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That's the reading of our text this morning, the reading of God's Word. Pray one more time and then get into the teaching. Heavenly Father, as we have now read through your word, we thank you for the way you speak, the way you continue to speak, the way you have chosen to reveal your special revelation to us through your Bible. May it be revered amongst us, your people. May we see with great clarity today how it can apply to us in the way we are living out our Christian lives in this very hour. We ask that you would guide and direct us, Holy Spirit, that you would utilize once again the foolishness of teaching and preaching to share the greatest news this world has ever known. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was about one year ago that our little pasture was ravaged by a mountain lion attack. We lost our best milking goat and one of her kids. And the thought that a mountain lion was that close to our house was was very unnerving. It was a bloody, death-filled reminder that danger lurks in the darkness and can really come out and and get us at at any time. And we we had our peace that we, we desired to have was shattered by this unsolicited attack. This was a a devastating event. The night after we discovered the attack, we felt vulnerable to a follow-on assault. We knew that if the mountain lion could come in the night before, what would keep it from coming back that night? So we developed plans at our home to harden some of the animal shelters, to make walls inside of walls, but we didn't have time to implement all of those that very next night. So I thought it would be best for me to go out and and stand watch, to watch over our flock and our herd. And as I was standing out there on watch, something that is not new to me, something I've been doing, it's part of my profession for the last two decades, standing watch. It was a, a cold night and I was thinking, this isn't sustainable. I can't stay out here every night and watch over the flock. I can't stay out here. There's too many other things that need to be done, and sleep is an important part of my, my life. I need someone else. I need 
something else that can do this job, that can stand watch for me. Because what I was doing, I knew, would not be sustainable. I needed another to carry the burden for me. I needed someone else that could do what I was unable to do for the long term. And as I was praying and considering what my options were, I realized we needed a dog. And within 24 hours, we had our great Pyrenees puppy, Murphy. Now nearly every night, if I happen to wake up, I can hear Murphy out, outside, doing his job, keeping watch over the flock and over the herd. I can tell because he's barking. He's usually barking throughout the night, letting any would-be attacker know that he is on watch. He's doing his job. And that allows me then to roll over with assurance that the job is being done and go back to sleep peacefully. That job has been transferred over to another. And this series of events that I just described is a, is a microcosm, if you will, of what's going on on a more macro level right now all around us. And what I'm speaking of right now is the coronavirus in particular. The coronavirus came quickly, didn't it? Like an attack that we weren't expecting, and all of a sudden it, it just kind of rushed in and has enveloped really every part of our lives. And we know it's, it's a devastating virus. It has brought about drastic life changes, even death. Tens of thousands of Americans have lost their lives to the virus, let alone around the world. It is a very real impact, and it continues to impact us every day. And there's also this ongoing fear of what the virus could do, and that is having an impact on us, and it's causing us to drastically alter how we're living our lives, what we would call our normal existence. And since the problem is greater than one family or one community beyond our own church, we have turned to our governing officials to help us usher through, get through this, to have a good plan so that we can get to it the other side. And we realize that even that has problems. There's obstacles involved in different governing officials trying to come up with a policy that's good for their locality versus the state or the nation. We're running into obstacles with what's happening to our economy. We're seeing job losses at a rate that are, haven't been seen in our country since before World War II. It's been a devastating effect, uh, effect upon us. And I know if you're like me, most of us have thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to get through this crisis that's currently at hand. This isn't sustainable. What we're doing currently isn't sustainable. That same thought that I had while I was standing watch over my flock. This isn't sustainable. And we as a people have shifted so much of the burden of governing to others and now we are really having a difficult time reeling that back in, taking it back. Because so much has been transferred over to the government. And then adding to this rather dismal picture is the fact that we know there's corruption in government. Even this last week, new revelations have been uh, brought forth that the advisor to the president from a few years back, General Flynn, who 
was guilty or found guilty has now been found not as guilty, I guess, as he was because he was coerced or you know, there's just there's corruption. So we're left wondering, what is going on? We're, we're left by all this being somewhat exhausted, frustrated, and even dumbfounded as what to do. So what do we do in the midst of a current trial such as this? We long for something better. All of us long for something better. We long for a future that is known by peace, a future that is without suffering. And we long for a leader who can take us to that place. It doesn't take us long to figure out that we can't do it on our own. And this all builds. This, this builds to the point where we're overcome by our frail condition. And unable to bear the sorrowful weight of loss that we feel that's just pressing in upon us. And when we're at this very place where loss is imminent, or we're sitting in the wake of devastation, our strength seems to be literally drained out from us. Who are we to turn to when this frail condition presents itself? And we're just left lying there in utter exhaustion. We turn to Christ. We turn to Christ who bore the burden for us all. We turn to Christ because he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We turn to the Lord Jesus, church. Our passage today presents Jesus as the only answer. Mark describes Jesus as the one who, who never wavers. He never wavers in his commitment to carry the burden of sin for those who are to be saved by him. Those closest to him are asked to watch and to pray. But it is only Jesus who carries the burden fully. He's the only one capable of carrying the burden he is seen in the passages moving forward in fulfilling the plan of redemption. We're going to start in our text today, and we're going to start with the, the point where he knew. It's going to cover verses 26 through 31, and I'll describe in a moment how we're going to move through our passage here. In the very first verse we read, in verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is where we pick up our passage today. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room where they were celebrating a Passover feast. That's what we discussed and went over last week. And then at the end of this time, we hear, see here in the text today that they sung a hymn. And then there's this movement. They, they made a movement out into, onto the Mount of Olives. And, but just this idea of singing together just made me think, I, I long for that day when we, as a church, are together again singing hymns, when we're singing praise songs, when we're celebrating the Lord together in song. I'm looking forward to that immensely. What I want you to notice here in this first verse was after the time in the upper room concludes, Mark describes this movement. He describes this movement where they're going from the upper room 
to the Mount of Olives. And this is how I'm going to take us through our passage today. There's three distinct movements that are going to occur in the passage. This is the first one from the upper room out to the Mount of Olives. Then a little while later, it's going to be from the Mount of Olives to a more specific location of Gethsemane. Then at the very end, when Jesus basically says, everything is, everything is done, my betrayer is at hand, there's going to be this movement forward. And that will be a very short point at the end. But that's how we're going to move through. And the first movement here describes how Jesus knew. He knew what his followers were going to do. They were going to fall away. Jesus knew what he would do. He alone. As the scripture stated, he knew what they said and that he would carry the sin burden of the world. In verse 27, we read, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. This is Jesus, the disciples, their leader. And at at the dinner that they were at together, he said one would betray them. And here on the Mount of Olives, he's now saying that they'll all fall away. He quotes Zechariah 13, 7 in making the proclamation. He knew. Jesus knew what would happen. He knew what would have to happen. And he continues to know what will happen to this day. Without any hesitation, he he follows up this statement, a very difficult statement to hear about them falling away with a proclamation. This is an important proclamation, church. In verse 28, he says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. It's a small verse, verse 28, but a very important verse. Jesus knew what needed to take place to fulfill the scriptures, to carry out the Father's plan of redemption. He also knew that his disciples needed to hear the good news of his resurrection once again. And it's stated here in this verse. Even though they would all fall away, he would not abandon them. He would not abandon them, but would meet them, meet with them again in Galilee. Verse 28 is an undervalued message of future hope. It's tucked into our passage today. And we know that it's undervalued by the, by the disciples, by the way the disciples respond. It's obvious that they're not focused upon the resurrection. They're rather focused upon what Jesus just said about them all denying him. About that statement, about falling away. It makes me think that is so typical of us as well. Focused on ourselves rather than on the promise and the promises of the Savior. Verse 29, Peter has to respond to this right away. As is very typical of Peter. Verse 29, Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, I will not. He says what they are all thinking. He's, he's thinking, this has been a good run, Jesus. Why would we all fall away? We are with you. We can't deny you. 
We can't even fathom denying you or that you would die. That this would end in your death. By no means are we in the, the exact same scenario, but to get us in that, that frame of mind that the disciples must have been in, to put us in that, that frame of mind. How many of you back in the month of February, not that far removed from where we are right now in May, would have thought that on a Lord's Day, on a Sunday morning, we would meet in this capacity right now? How many would have thought that we would stop meeting together physically on a Sunday morning? Or that we would stop getting together physically for our men's groups or our women's groups? Or that we wouldn't meet together as community groups. Back in February, was that a thought that any of you had? And yet here we are on this day. That's the frame of mind that we should be thinking of of what the disciples, that what they're considering as Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. They thought it was an impossibility. But has any of this caught the Lord by surprise? What we see from the Bible is that he knew what his disciples were going to do at his arrest, at his mock trial and execution. Just as he knew what was coming upon us and our response to the coronavirus. So this begs another question. Was Jesus pleased that he was abandoned by his disciples? Is he content with our current state and the way we're behaving as Christians? What is the answer? Jesus, church, is the answer. We turn to Jesus because Jesus goes before us. He suffered everything, so as we suffer in our current context, we can look to him. We can turn to him. We can rely upon him for a better future. We can do this because he's redeemed us from our sin, from sin. And what would have been our eternal fallenness had we not turned to him? Had we not placed our faith in him? For this, he has been raised up and he has gone before us. That doesn't mean we always respond properly. Our sin still alters our thinking and our actions. Try as we might, our sin still has an impact. Peter was a very determined disciple, and many of us are very determined people as well. Peter had to hear what was in store for him. So Jesus continues in explaining in verse 30. In verse 30, Jesus says, to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I wouldn't have wanted to hear that from Jesus. I wouldn't have wanted to hear him say, you're going to deny me, and not only deny me sometime in the future, but this very night. Just like I I struggle to understand how we can be sitting apart from each other right now. I identify with Peter and the others saying emphatically, if I must die with you, 
I will not deny you. Because they all said the same thing. Peter was speaking for them. They were more afraid of denying Christ than of dying. But Jesus knew. He knew. He knew that all that was written must be fulfilled. Fellow believers, if you haven't spent much time soaking in Luke 24, I want to take us there now because it's so helpful as we're considering all the scriptures having to be fulfilled. In the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and comes alongside a few of his disciples who are speaking of the events of the day and what had occurred, we get great encouragement about what the scriptures mean to us. I'm going to pick up in verse verse 24 and read through 27. This is uh, the disciples speaking to Jesus here. Verse 24 of Luke 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Jesus responds, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus takes the word of God and explains to them all that was written about himself. It is such a treasure for us to look at this passage, to read and to think about the power of the scriptures. But hearing Jesus proclaim, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, this reverberates in my soul when I think of, since I can read. Since I've learned how to read, I've had the scriptures available to me. And since before that time, I've had people faithful in my life who have been willing to speak scripture into my life. It's been at my fingertips since, since before I was born. I probably heard scripture while I was in my mother's womb. But yet this chastisement that he speaks reverberates in my soul. O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Still an accurate description of me. And maybe you think similarly as you consider how much we've been privileged to have the word of God available to us. Look down a little further in Luke 24. And let's take encouragement as, as Jesus continues to walk with these disciples and describe. In Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Oh, this is when he, I'm sorry, he appears to his disciples and he speaks to them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day 
rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus knew. He knew what his disciples would do. Jesus knew what he must do. He needed to be the one who would withstand the burden of sin because none other could. Only the perfect spotless Lamb of God was able to do this. To atone for the sins of the human race. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. And in Luke's account of this section, we see that he gave additional words to Peter meant to encourage his friend. That account is found in Luke chapter 22. And it it reads, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Jesus says these following words to Peter. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Church, Jesus knew that Peter was his. Peter belonged to him. Peter was his, given to him by the Father. And he interceded on his behalf. Contending for Peter in prayer. He's our intercessor as well. He prays for us as he prayed for Peter. He expects us to turn to him when we fail. Peter was going to fail. And his expectation is that Peter would turn once again to him. And Peter did. He knows we will fail. He knows that you will fail. But he will not forsake us even when we forsake him. Because if we are part of the elect, we belong to him. We belong to him. Jesus knows who are his own. And he prays for them. He sustains them. And he'll sustain us, church, at this present hour. As we transition away from this first point into the next one, we already see the importance of of prayer as it's being developed. As Jesus is one who prays as he is going to go now into a time of prayer. This next section I've called, He Knelt. So we just went through, He Knew. Now we're going to look at, He Knelt. He Knelt. Verses 32 through 41. Back over in Mark's Gospel. In verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. So here's another one of those movements I was talking about. So on the Mount of Olives, somewhere on the Mount of Olives, currently if you go there, they have a place down near the foot by the Kidron Valley that's set up like like Gethsemane. I'm not sure if it truly is, but there's some really old olive trees there, like over a thousand years old. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. This section begins with this movement. And we see that in the Lord's desire, his one and only desire at this time, 
as the burden of the, the weight of sin is beginning to press upon him, his desire is to go to the Lord in prayer. He wants to go and pray. This immense pressure is building upon him, and the hour is drawing nearer, nearer and nearer. And his greatest comfort, Jesus' greatest comfort, is to go before the Father in prayer, to kneel before the Father in a time of prayer. And in addition to prayer, we see he takes comfort in his friends. In verse 33, And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. He takes with him his closest disciples, his friends. And they can see upon his face and they can hear in his voice the distress upon their, their rabbi, their teacher, the Lord. They know that he is very sorrowful. He speaks it, very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus is not afraid of death, but his soul is sorrowful even to death. His whole reason for joining humanity in the flesh is beginning to reach its climax. All will fall away, and the Father will turn his back on him. He'll be utterly alone. Bearing the sins of the world and absorbing the wrath of God, the extreme weight of the situation is, is crushing. That's our sin, brothers and sisters. That weight that was crushing Jesus on that night was our sin. Driving him to his knees. Driving him to the ground. This is the state that we, we cannot even fully fathom as we sit here. As you sit in your living room or in your dining room, wherever you might be. Hard for us to fathom the state that Jesus was in, the condition of our Lord. But try, try to consider Christ's passion with a renewed sense of intensity as we go through this text, because the text, the text demands it. Jesus is speaking these words where he says, my, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Hard for us to imagine that. That's what the text clearly states. And his closest friends hear this statement. And they listen to Jesus' instruction to them. Remain here and watch, is what he says. What exactly are they supposed to do? How are they to make sense of the situation as their own sorrow builds? Listen to what they hear as recorded for us in verses 35 and 36, as Jesus goes to the Father in prayer, and as they are sitting there and to watch, and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what 
you will. They're listening to the Lord pray. It's a fervent prayer. Jesus is pleading with the Father. And the prayer remained reverent to the Father and steadfast to the plan that had been set up since before eternity's past to redeem the lost. Jesus prays. And he prays what we so often fail to pray. Yet not what I will, but what you will. It is our perpetual sin to make more of ourselves than we ought to, and to make more of our will than we ought to, and to make more of our present time than we ought to. And here on the very eve of Jesus giving himself up as a ransom for many, in the agony of that hour, he prays that the Father's will be done. Your will be done. Be submitted to the harshest suffering imaginable. He who knew no sin was to be saturated with our sin and separated from the Father. Two things that had never occurred, never had happened in all of eternity, were about to happen. So our Lord is in great sorrow. And in this time of great sorrow and in prayer, he gets up. He removes himself from a time of prayer with the Father to come back and to, to check on his disciples. What we see in verses 37 and 38 are, are what he found. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Church, here we see how closely we are linked to Jesus' disciples, his first disciples. We were not there with him in the garden. That was the eleven, those who hadn't, that was minus Judas, of course. We were not there in the garden of Gethsemane on that night of his betrayal. But we are nonetheless his disciples to this day. And we know in the reading and hearing of this statement made by Jesus here how true it is. We can identify that the Spirit is indeed willing, but our flesh is so weak. How often have you failed to accomplish something? You know you're going to accomplish it. Your spirit is set upon it. Your will is made up. And then there's a point of failure. And it's your flesh. How often does that happen? The one making the statement is he who we place our faith in. Not in our own will. Not in our own power. Not in our own abilities. Not even in our own spirit, but in Jesus Christ. He demonstrated perfection in every way. We went through Hebrews as a church, I guess it's been over a year ago, maybe two now. But in Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews speaks 
of Jesus's prayer life in a manner that's helpful. So I'm going to take us to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 7 through 10. As we consider what Jesus is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the time of his prayer. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Our Lord and Savior, he, he kneels in prayer. And he calls his disciples to watch and pray. He needed their support. They cannot go to the cross. That's something he must do. But they can certainly support him in prayer. This is a continuation of our, our work today, brothers and sisters. To join the Lord in prayer, pleading for the lost, lifting up the hurting, which is something we do so often together, asking for an end to the pandemic, praying, praying for God-fearing officials to rule justly and to lead in a, in a manner that is right. He called his disciples to watch and pray. We have much to learn from this exhortation, the exhortation that was given to his first disciples. Watch and pray. As I was studying, I, I found something helpful from J.C. Ryle, an author. He published a book in 1859. I know some of you are familiar with J.C. Ryle. I was going to read this quote for us as we were just considering this, this admonition, this exhortation to watch and pray. J.C. Ryle, quoting him here, Are we true Christians? And would we keep our souls awake? Then let us never forget to watch and pray. We must watch like soldiers. We are upon enemies' ground. We must always be on our guard. We must fight a daily fight and war a daily warfare. The Christian's rest is yet to come. We must pray without ceasing, regularly, habitually, carefully, and at stated times. We must pray as well as watch, and watch as well as pray. Watching without praying is self-confidence and self-conceit. Praying without watching is enthusiasm and fanaticism. The man who knows his own weakness and knowing it both watches and prays is the man that will be held up and not allowed to fall. End quote. When I read this description from J.C. Ryle about watching and praying, I felt it was, it was worth sharing. I know for me, he, he mentioned in there, knowing your weakness. Knowing your weakness. I know I have a tendency to, to watch without praying. Not 
never praying, but not equally. Giving more of a propensity to, to watch. To, well, what I mean by that is trying to solve all the problems and to keep everything in balance and in check. What does that lead itself to? Well, like J.C. Ryle wrote in 1859, self-confidence and self-conceit. In modern parlance, that would be autonomy or self-reliance. What is your tendency? Do you know what you tend to do more of? Watch without praying? Praying without watching. We are learning a great deal about ourselves right now. I submit this pandemic is, is a teaching time, if we allow it to be. At this time, we are having to be distanced from one another. If we're to obey the governor's executive orders, then are we not learning that what has for a long time in our culture been exalted as the autonomous man, the autonomous woman, that is the ideal? Go it alone? Well, now that we are actually having to be separated from each other, what do we learn? We learn that doesn't really work. We're not designed to live in isolation. We've been designed to live in a relationship. That's how God has made us. We're not to live in fear of fellow image bearers of God, but to be attracted to fellow image bearers. And right now, because of the fear of the coronavirus, oftentimes what we're witnessing is there is a fear of even being near someone just in case. That's a fellow image bearer of God. And we're learning from this. We're learning more about ourselves. We are not to live in fear of fellow image bearers. We're to fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The one who has the authority to do that is Jesus Christ. For nothing is outside of his control. He is the one who numbers our days. We are wrong to think that we can save ourselves. I'm paraphrasing John Piper, but in that that little book that he just wrote in March, uh, Coronavirus in Christ, he writes about how Christians were immortal until the very moment God says it is time to come home and be with him. We don't save ourselves. Christ did that work for us. And in our text this morning, Jesus is preparing himself by spending time in prayer. We need to be preparing ourselves like the Lord prepared himself. And we need to be in prayer. The passage in Mark continues in verse 39. After he comes and, and tells his disciples to watch and to pray. In verse 39 it says, And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Saying the same words. What does that mean? Well, I believe it means he, he pleaded once again with the Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The hour was so near, and he was in agony. And this was what was going through Jesus' mind. Agony on our behalf. Yet he remained committed and submitted to the Father's will. He was committed and submitted 
to the praise of his glory. Thanks be to God, he was committed and submitted. And after he went and was praying, in verse 40, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Jesus wants to have the support of his friends. He wants them to to watch and to pray, to lift him up to the Father as he agonizes, as he considers what is about to happen. And his friends are also engaged in the spiritual warfare. And just as he stated, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Their eyes were heavy. And they fell asleep. They were overcome by their flesh. And they don't even know what to say. The text says, I didn't know what to say. And not knowing what to say is something I, I could relate to in a similar situation. One time when I was in, in basic Marine Corps training, we'd been out in, in the training area for about a week. And it was January, middle of the night. I was out on an observation post with another second lieutenant. And our job was to make sure no one could get close to the main body. We were on an observation post. We were at 50% alert, meaning one of us had to be awake, the other one could snooze, but we couldn't both be asleep. And yet, in that zero-degree night, with my eyes being heavy, I fell asleep on watch. I failed to uphold my duty that night. No one caught me. There was no danger. It was a training environment. I awoke and I realized, wow, I, I was asleep. And the guy I was on watch with, he was asleep as well. If someone would have asked me what I was doing, I, I wouldn't have had an answer. I wouldn't have known what to say. Or then I failed. I couldn't do what I was supposed to do. I failed to keep my watch. That night I was very aware of my weakness, of my flesh. I wouldn't have known what to answer either, just like the disciples didn't know what to say to Jesus. It can be presumed here that Jesus went away again and prayed the words, because in verse 41, we, that's what we read, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Jesus kneels and pleads with the Father, and the disciples succumb to slumber. In essence, Jesus at this moment is now fully taking on the burden that he was sent to carry. It is his alone. Even those who are nearest to him cannot stand and stay awake, cannot keep watch, cannot pray. It is Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is doing everything. He therefore says boldly in the second part of verse 41, when he comes back, after he finds them sleeping, he says, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. It is enough. He's ready. He's betrayed into the hands of sinners. And by this, this action, the final portion of the plan of redemption is launched. This is why we can turn to him, church. He carried the burden. On the night Jesus was betrayed, his disciples 
all fled. But they did not stay separated from him. Not for long. The disciples turned fully to him after his resurrection. They were restored. They received the full measure of the Holy Spirit upon the day of Pentecost. And those who were there in the garden, minus his betrayer, gave the remainder of their earthly existence to proclaiming Christ and the good news of salvation through Jesus alone. They fully realized that he was the one that lifted the sin burden, that he took it upon himself, took it to the cross, took it to the grave, and defeated sin and death and Satan for all of eternity. Their faith, the disciples' faith, went fully to Jesus. We must be likewise. Struggle as we do in this life. It is our faith in Christ that brings us hope for a better future. In our last movement, the last little section we're going to cover in verse 42, I'm calling it, He Never Wavered. He Never Wavered. Jesus, after He says it is enough, Look, I'm betrayed. He says, rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is prepared. He has spent his time with the Father in prayer. He knows it is the will of the Father to continue. He knows it is what is necessary to save humanity. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He gave himself over. He laid down his life. No one took it from him, but he freely gave it. I struggle to comprehend the perfect resolve of Jesus. I have to struggle because I'm not fully God. And he is. And and consistent with carrying out his covenant, he goes through with it. Rise, let us be going. It's much like the Abrahamic covenant that Ben referenced last week when Abram fell into that deep sleep in Genesis 15 and the halves of the animals were splayed out in the smoking fire pot, God alone unilaterally set the conditions of the covenant by walking between the halves of the carcasses. Here, Jesus, by himself, fulfills the covenant, allows his blood, the blood that he just mentioned and talked about, At the Passover supper, the blood that was going to be poured out, the new covenant. He's basically saying here, arise, let us be going. Now the hour of my blood, the blood of the covenant, is to be poured out for many. He knows what he is about. He knows the business he is to attend to. Never wavered. This passage that we've been working through is elevating the redemptive work of Jesus and the monumental importance of prayer. In light of our current pandemic, we've all had more time to think about our our interactions in the community. We've all had time to think about what it means to preserve life. And we've all had more time to pray. But happy. As we study the book of Mark together, our thinking and our actions and our prayer 
must be altered to comply with what we see in Scripture, what we see represented by our Savior. And here today, we're, we're reminded that the contagion of sin is far deadlier than the coronavirus. And God provided a cure for that which is more deadly than our current pandemic. The cure is Jesus. Our longing for a leader who can take us to a better place has been satisfied in Christ alone, who poured out his blood. Our longing for someone who can keep watch and who can pray, knowing that in our weakness we fail time and time again, has been met in Jesus. Therefore, dear friends, turn to Christ, who carried the sin burden for us all, and who gave himself that we might have eternal life and a future hope. Let's pray. God, you are a giver of good gifts. As sinners, we so frequently fail to receive the goodness that you lavish upon us. We languish, we struggle, we fail to watch and to pray. So Lord, in our, in our time of desperation, may we please, as a people, reach out to you and see that you're always there, ready to receive our prayers ready to receive our repentance. Lord, we want to turn to you, turn away from our own ideas about saving ourselves or saving others, and fully embrace that you have done the saving work that we need most. You've saved us from sin through the blood of Christ. Lord, we long for the day when as your elect, your followers, your believers, when we can cast off the, the sin of this world and worship unencumbered in your presence fully. We long for that day. We look forward to you ushering in your kingdom. And as we wait, help us, Lord, to watch and to pray. To watch and to pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.